0: As we're uh, getting ready to talk about Valentine's Day, and you know, a while back we talked about do opposites really attract? Interesting topics of conversation with us today is uh, Pastor Jared Hall. It's always a pleasure to have you with us, and going to kind of walk down that path of conversation a little bit, right? Good morning, Seth. Good to see you. Good morning, Deb. We'll see where we end up walking down this path. It's a little bit like Pandora's box with me sometimes. Ooh. So My apologies. Ahead okay. Of time. <laughs> well, I'll... get the key. Let's open it up. <laughs> there we go. We'll see what's on the other side. Yeah. But I want to begin with a story about the former president of Moody Bible Institute, Dr. Joe Stoll. Mm-hmm. Uh, he shares a story about a time when he was pastoring in Detroit, Michigan, and there was a church down the street from his that his congregation all viewed as being a bit legalistic, that they were more concerned with the rules. They they weren't so concerned with Jesus. They just wanted the appearance of being righteous. However, for that church down the street, the legalists, they saw Joe's church as being a bit liberal, that Mm. they didn't really care about reading the real translation of the Bible like the King James, Mm. and they didn't really care about modesty and things like this. And Joe kind of figured, you know what? that's just the way it is. Churches are going to disagree. Pastors mm-hmm. are going to disagree. There's going to be different interpretations of the Bible. So, So, yeah, they're down the street, and we think they're legalists, and they think we're down the street, and we're liberals, and you know what? That's just the way it's going to be. The two shall never see eye to eye. So be it. But then some time later, Joe was at a conference, and he ran into a friend, and his friend had no idea about the situation, but his friend was just elated about something happening at his church, and it kind of overflowed into the conversation. He's like, Joe, I just got to tell you, my pastor is doing the coolest thing. Every Sunday, he gets in the pulpit, and he is praying for another church in our community, praying for their pastor by name because he is all in to see the gospel go forward, and it doesn't have to be his thing. It can be someone else's thing. He just wants to see Jesus' gospel yes. advancing. Right. Yes. Now, he was just excited to share mm-hmm. that. What he didn't realize was is that at that moment, the Holy Spirit was using that like a two-by-four in between Joe's <laughs> eyes. Right. And so Joe, feeling this immense conviction that, he had just kind of written off his other congregation as legalists and accepted the fact that they'd written them off as liberals, that he went back that Sunday and he got in his pulpit and by name prayed for that church Mm. and that pastor. Awesome. Mm. And word spread so quickly that by the time that other church was doing their evening service, that pastor had heard that Joe had prayed for them that morning. And so when he got... Into his pulpit, he prayed for Joe and their church by name. Nice. Wonderful. Now, that began Mm. a relationship between the two churches. It didn't Mm. mean that they merged into one. It didn't mean that they necessarily started seeing things differently, but it meant that they saw each other differently Mm -hmm. and saw each other less as combatants and more as allies in the gospel. Mm. And for us, we live in a world that's very divided, But not only is the world divided, but you see just as much division in the church today. Yes. Sure. And a lot of the things that divide people in the world divide people in the church. And you and I probably have the same hunch. A presidential election is going to make it better. Mm. (laughs) 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 And you always speak truth, right? (laughs) Probably not, right? Probably not. (laughs) Probably not this one. It's probably going to be a little bit more divided. We're headed into a season where it's only going to intensify, Mm -hmm. right? Conversations are going to get harder. And the other thing is that with the technology that we have today, it's very easy to just listen to people who agree with you. Oh, yeah. And so you spend your whole day reading and listening to people who agree with you that when you are confronted with someone who disagrees with you, you just see them as a caricature. Right. And so it's very easy to become hostile or angry to become almost venomous Mm -hmm. in the way that we approach them. It's almost encouraged. Exactly. Yeah. And so what's the way forward, though? And I think that there's an example of an unlikely pairing, just like Joe's church being the quote-unquote liberal church and this other church being the quote-unquote legalist church was an unlikely pairing. There's an unlikely pairing that I think we see in the New Testament that sometimes I don't think we realize how unlikely it actually was Mm -hmm. outside of Jesus. Mm. So in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is writing to Timothy, and as Paul is writing to Timothy, Timothy is in the city of Ephesus. Paul is somewhere in the region of Macedonia. Uh, Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. Uh, Macedonia would be much of modern-day Greece, so they're separated by the uh, uh, Aegean Sea. And as he writes to Timothy, he refers to him as my true son in the faith. Now, Paul wasn't actually Tim's dad. Right. Paul didn't lead Timothy to faith. Timothy was actually already a Christian when Paul met him. Timothy's mother is Jewish and a believer, grandmother Jewish and a believer. We learned that from Acts 16 and from 2 Timothy 1. But Timothy's dad is Greek. But Timothy was already well-known and well-respected by the time that Paul met him. And so, But when Paul met him, he said, I got to take you with me on these missionary journeys because there's something special here in this dynamic. And so the question is always kind of, well, what is it so special about the relationship that Paul would see Timothy as a son? Now, we'll pause real quick just to say, well, where does the unlikely pairing come in? Well, sometimes we forget that Paul grew up in Jerusalem Mm -hmm. with this thoroughbred perspective that he's— The most Jewish person that could be. Yeah, the Jew of Jews. That's right. And he's living on the eastern end of the Roman Empire there, where Timothy grows up in the middle of the Roman Empire and has a mom who's a Jewish Christian and a dad who's a Greek, right? Right. So outside of Christ, these two never meet. They're separated geographically. Mm -hmm. Culturally. Culturally. All of it extremely different, and I don't think we ever realize, Mm -hmm. oh, but in Christ, here they have this pairing that is so strong. That's a familial bond, like a father to a son. Mm -hmm. So what is it? Well, I think that actually in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he gives one of the most clearest descriptions of what's so special about this relationship. So in chapter 2, verse 19 of Philippians, Paul writes this to the church of Philippi. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. And Paul's right there. Think about that. What is Paul saying here? He's saying that, I want to send Timothy to you. Paul's in prison. Why does he want to send Paul? Or why does, he to, why does Paul want to send Timothy? Because he has nobody like him who's going to show genuine interest in their needs. And what does he say? He says, everyone looks out for their own needs, not those of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And what I think is inferred here is, is that Timothy is unique in that he puts Christ above all other needs, yeah. his own needs. So what Christ desires, that is the banner, and everything else falls mm-hmm. underneath of it. And that for Paul, that's his whole life, putting Christ first. That's why that's he's right. willing to go to prison. That's why he's willing to get mm-hmm. beat up, drug mm-hmm. out of city, go back in. And he's going, I've been a lot of places. Mm-hmm. I've been everywhere, man. And I met one guy who has the same mindset that I have. Yeah, mm-hmm. Christ Above all. first. Yeah. Christ Above all. And so that brings this special unifying bond that two guys from two different sides of the empire with two different pedigrees and two different backgrounds could come together and have this special bond. And so, what begins to cut through all of the divide when you have two people who are willing to say, Christ is primary, and I'm going to have everything else secondary. And there's another story I want to share with you from church history that embodies this type of relationship. Uh, We're familiar with one name. It's John Bunyan. Hmm. He's famous for writing Pilgrim's Progress. And then the other name, a little bit less known but still very famous, is John Owens. John Owens was um, probably in the top five, maybe top three greatest Puritan theologians of all time. Very different guys, but most people don't even realize that they're contemporaries of each other. John Bunyan, not educated at all. John Owens, one of the best educations of the time period. John Bunyan had served prison time for being a nonconformist. He didn't want to follow the rules of the Church of England. John Owens worked for Oxford, right? So, I mean, Two very different realities. Mm -hmm. Well, the first time that Bunyan was in prison, he started to preach the gospel. And when he got out of prison, he started traveling around the countryside and preaching the gospel. And the way that John Bunyan preached, it drew a crowd. Mm -hmm. And everyone knows about Pilgrim's Progress, but I don't think people realize that when he went out into the countryside to preach, that sometimes 1,200 people all the way up to 3,000 people would gather to hear his preaching. Wow. Now— There was somebody else who would go and listen to him preach, John Owens. Mm -hmm. Well-educated, very scholarly, would travel out to the countryside to hear this man preach to the masses. And when the king found out that John Owens was going and listening to him, he said, John, why are you going and listening to this tinkerer? And John Owens says, I would give up all of my education if I could preach like that. Yeah. So there's this mutual respect for each other. Mm. Well, John Bunyan was getting ready to publish a book, and he knew that it would carry more weight if his friend John Owens would endorse it. Mm. And initially, John said he would, but then John got a little concerned about his reputation mm-hmm. and backed out. Now, we can imagine the hurt, right, to be yes. John Bunyan. Yeah. You can imagine a little bit of the shame and guilt yeah. that John Owens mm. would feel. Mm-hmm. And I think we've been in good friendships where we've mm-hmm. been disappointed sure, or disappointed right. the other person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the question remains, though, is is Christ still supreme? Well, John Bunyan ends up getting arrested after that, again, for being a nonconformist. The person who's able to get him out of jail is a former student of John Owens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so John Owens goes to the former student and says, please, I want to get my friend out of jail. Mm -hmm. What do I need to do? Well, that pupil said, oh, I love you, but I'm not going to risk my reputation for this. So he made him jump through all of these legal hoops. And after delay and after delay and after delay, John Bunyan ended up serving 12 years in prison. Wow. And finally, John Owens was able to get him released. Mm. Now, if we step back and we look at God's providence, we have to recognize that in all of those delays, what did that 12 years allow for John Bunyan to accomplish? Pilgrim's progress. That's right. Yeah. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress while he was incarcerated Mm -hmm. for those 12 years. And John Owens was able to read the manuscript of it, and he said, everyone needs to read this. And so he connected John Bunyan with his publicist and was able to get it published. So if you want to know how Pilgrim's Progress gets published by a (laughs) two-time offender who just spent 12 years in prison for being a nonconformist, it's because— John Owens went to bat Mm. for him. Wow! And second to the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress is the most sold Christian book in the world. Millions of people Mm -hmm. have been impacted by this book. And that book is the result of two men from two different sides of the railroad tracks having a friendship that was based in this Christ first. Was it perfect? No, it wasn't perfect. It's never going to be perfect, but, Two men who were willing to say Christ is the very most important thing. Christ is one. We are under him. That allowed them to find a way forward that blessed the entire world. Wow. And in a time where everyone is seeking to find a way to divide, the Mm -hmm. only way forward is if you and I put Christ first and we allow that to be the unifier then we can find a way forward through the differences. But if all of these secondary things hold primacy in our mind and our heart, and Christ takes a back seat to that, then the church will just look like the world. And what did Jesus say? He said, They will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Yes. yes. So that's my encouragement for us in this month of February. Fantastic. I love that. I really appreciate your mm-hmm. insight and and the you know, bringing some of the, the, the peripheral stories together mm. and and how God is the focus. God is the center of all of it. And Jesus is, is, our, is our, our Savior. It's just awesome. Thanks, man. Really I do pleasure. appreciate you stopping by. Of course. Thanks, guys, for having Always. me.